When people wear a brand, there's a combination of what it looks like or what it does, but that's only a small piece of it. The rest of it is, what does it say about them? Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph, and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, will prove the naysayers wrong. In a lot of conversations about business, people often like to talk about it as a science. Unfortunately, that means that sometimes notions like art and talent get left at the door. How fitting then that today's guest, Seville, is an extremely talented jeweler. She's been designing since she was 12, and although her work is now warmer the likes of Alicia Keys and Rihanna, her process has more or less remained the same, sitting down and creating with her hands. She's recently decided that it's time to scale up. What results is a conversation with Seville about how to grow her business without losing the values that make her jewelry uniquely hers. It's a great episode about branding, authenticity, and ultimately loving what you do. Listen in. Hey, Seville, welcome to That Will Never Work. I have been so excited about actually having this call with you. I listen to hundreds of these uh, people who call in on the That Will Never Work hotline, but some people almost leap out of the phone in their energy and enthusiasm. So I am looking forward to this. I think the best way to start it off is for you to maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're working on. And then if you can find some natural way to kind of slide into what it is you want to talk about today, we can take it from there. Yeah. Thanks so much for this show. You provide so much valuable information to people that really look up to you. So thank you. And I'm one of them. My name is Seville Michelle and I'm a jewelry designer. I started designing about 12 years ago and I just had a series of what turns out to be good ideas in terms of trend setting ideas that really resonated with girls I grew up with, but then also some of the biggest names in music. And it all happened really organically. And then I really had to rally around it to figure out a way to make money from it. Did it happen like really suddenly? Like you were just kind of laboring along for years and then boom, mm. all of a sudden you Someone's well, wearing it on the view or something mm, mm, and then mm, takes off. Mm, mm, mm. It happened like within a few months of designing. I had this idea. I did this epaulette thing and glamour.com did like a feature and they just cited me as being the inventor of this new concept. And then I was in this really important 
in terms of trends store in New York called Patricia Field. And she's the costume designer of Sex in the City. And she's had a store in New York City since like 1965. And I grew up shopping there in the 90s. And so I just walked wow. in with my idea and I was like, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, she was like, if you change this and change that, we'll carry it. And then it just kept selling out. And then within that same time frame, I was invited to a nightclub because Alicia Keys' stylist was there. And they were like, you should come here and just wear your stuff. You don't say anything. Just come. We'll be sitting down at the table. And within like 25 minutes, I got in a cab and I ran to the city. I didn't have anything to lose. And I didn't actually I had the whatever $20 I had in my pocket. Okay, so I was invited to go to a nightclub because Alicia Keys' stylist was there. And the person who invited me really believed in my work. And they were like, this is really great. He would love it. So I pull up to the club in like 20 minutes from Queens. I had 20 bucks in my pocket and I spent it on the cab. Like I had to take the train home. But then I got there and as soon as I walked up to the table, he was like, what is that? That is amazing. What is that? And he ordered on site. He he ordered 12 of them, a dozen. So I had a week and he was paying for them. So I had a week to make 12 unique different epaulettes. And then like two weeks later, she was in Brazil on stage in front of the world in my stuff. And I was like, I just made that on my couch. (laughs) (laughs) Like I labored, I hand sewed that. And I don't have experience as a designer. I always had discretionary taste. You know, I dropped out of high school. I went to community college. I know it wasn't like it was all going to happen for her. You know, it wasn't like that. I was always really responsible when I met with opportunities and I treated them with respect, not always with all the tools I needed, but like I do all my own stunts. So I have to always rely on myself. And as I grow and as I grow, it will be easier. That is one of many stories of like how my stuff ended up on some of the biggest names in music. And it wasn't because I knew anybody. Well, I knew the stylist who knew somebody who knew somebody, but my work was good is what I'm saying. It was good and it resonated and it made sense and it wasn't silly. And I think it's hard to do that in fashion. It's hard to have a voice and to make something that's well-made and beautiful. How long ago was the Alicia Keys moment? So that was 12 years ago. And then she's been a supporter ever since. She follows me on social media. I have, I don't know, maybe 100 pictures of her in the same pairs that she's had for years. Major celebrities like her get lots of stuff from lots of people. So for her to have them on in Berlin and then be in Manhattan in the same pair five months later, you know, that's something. So... Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, I'm like, wow, I made those on my couch. (laughs) As time went on and I um, was also styling to help pay the bills and costume designing for film and television. And then during the pandemic, there was no work. So I really honed in. Wait, 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 wait. Years have gone by, right? (laughs) No, wait a minute. So you have this breakthrough moment. Eight or nine years go by and you're still like having to hustle by having yes. other stuff. I pictured that by now you'd have your own gallery on the uh, Upper East Side and you would have a whole atelier. You wouldn't even have a workshop. You'd have an atelier where you had 40 or 50 people all where you went in and went, no, 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 no. That is all wrong. No, it didn't work like that? It's still you on your couch? No, it didn't work like that. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it didn't work like that. Because I entered design 
as a way to heal from extreme trauma. I had gone through something that was super sad and I read a book called The Knitting Circle and it was all about healing through being creative. So my mission wasn't ever really, well, now it is because now I'm making money. But for a long time, it wasn't because I was so focused on trying to figure out what happened to me and why it happened to me. And I was still very much in touch with, while thinking that and contemplating that, I was still designing and making really good stuff that people really connected with on an emotional level. So after I did the epaulets, I introduced the world to these iconic earrings that all girls in New York and major cities grew up wearing and smaller towns too called doorknocker earrings. And they're the big earrings that Salt and Pepper, Queen Latifah wore in like the 80s and the 90s. So I grew up wearing them and I took those and I wrapped those in Italian leather. And that was a whole other wave of Beyonce, Rihanna, Nicki Minaj. You know, I sold many collections to them and it was astounding. And I was coming out of this horrible event and I was so sad and it just kept healing me little by little, like all of the happiness that was surrounding me. You know, and then my mom passed away. I stopped working for nine months. I took care of her and held her and I was there for her. And then I came back to designing and I continued doing that, but I would go kind of in and out of it and I would style and I never really focused on it the way that I am now. And I feel like when I really healed from all that trauma, that's when I really started making money (laughs) because there was this distraction of sadness and you can't really be successful if you have distractions like that. Wow. What a story. And so now, are you still in the old neighborhood? I'm calling you from the apartment I grew up in. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just in New York for a brief minute. I live actually in West Hollywood. I've been living by coastal for like three years, but I'm mostly there and I love being there. And that's where I love to be. That's fantastic. So now you've got a jewelry business. So tell me about how this jewelry business is set up. How do you sell? Who do you sell to? So I'm in about 20 stores now. I have a showroom. I have representation, which is amazing. I love my sales rep and I have a e-commerce business and I, my conversion rate, I know my convert is 3%. (laughs) And (laughs) if you would have asked me that a year ago, I'd be like, what? (laughs) During the pandemic, it was really a time to slow down and I wasn't styling. I wasn't doing any of that. So I was like, let me just redo my website. Let me make it so that I know who visits when they visit and when they buy. And I do ads now. I can track the sales. The ads really helped support my business. And that's been amazing. So you're probably going to yell at me, but I still hand make everything. Isn't that crazy? I do get... mm, Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reserving judgment. I'm sitting here. Okay. I'll get the whole picture and then I'll okay, be ready. Yeah, to... I want you to yell at me if I need to be yelled at because I learn. I just like. I'm not afraid to tell you if I think you're doing okay. something stupid. I'm just trying to take it all in so far. Okay. Thank you so much. So you're making everything yourself. How yeah. much of your business dollar wise comes from your wholesale business? In other words, selling it through other people's stores versus selling it online yourself? So I would say 20% of my business come from wholesale. 
20, I think. And 80% from your website? 80% from my website. I make all my bread and butter from my website. Pay my rent, my bills, my cell phone, everything. Wow. <laughs> I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to style. I don't have to do another thing. I could just make jewelry and mind my business and make money. <laughs> so having it in other people's stores, what's the purpose of that? Is that just so it gets seen, so it gets picked up? Mm -hmm. So I only just started with the showroom three months ago. Ah, okay. So they've only had an opportunity to get me in. They've been to market twice. One was last week and then three months ago, two months ago. So I, I, they haven't really had an opportunity to get me into more stores. But it's good because I've never really been in stores. So I've always just made stuff for around the way girls, you know, and then these amazing women that, you know, are famous. But I want to hit that middle America. I want to design for middle America. So I've been creating more kind of not as trends establishing jewelry so that I could hit that middle. Because I think I have something to say for those girls too. It's all about my catchphrase is earrings come in all shapes, colors, and sizes. Just like women. Oh, there you go. It appeals to me. Just people with stories in their homes. And I make my earrings affordable so that the same girl that grew up in the building as Alicia Keys on the third floor and Alicia was on the fifth, that same girl could wear those same earrings that Alicia wears for the same price. So I've met people with big ideas and they're like, you should be luxury. And I don't really have an interest in being luxury. That doesn't relate to me. So I want to design for girls like me. So what can I do to help you? What is holding you back now from meeting your goals? I think the scalability, if that's a word. In other words, you could sell more if you could make more? Mm -hmm. Yes, I could. I'm going to go someplace. I'm just trying to aim a little closer here. To what okay. degree is the pricing the key to you being able to get your brand more ubiquitous in middle America? To what degree is the pricing? In other words, everything has to be below... Listen, the ones that I sell here in the gallery uh, in West Hollywood, you know, they sell for $300 you know, because they cost me 150 to make. I can't do that. I have to be able to make them for 30 or for three or for 30 cents. Yeah. Is that part of the problem? Uh, no, it's just finding the partners that don't want to charge an arm and a leg. You know, manufacturers in New York City are so expensive. Look, I believe in a $15 hour workforce. You know, I believe in that. Okay. I have some thoughts. Oh, you do? Okay. It's all tied together. First of all, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I love your motivations. I love the fact that this happened organically. You're so lucky because you have this kind of talent. The designs seem to spring out of you and they resonate with people. And that's just a wonderful thing. And now you're going, well, how do I harness this in the right way? I love that problem. I don't think... You can never stop somebody from copying your designs. People have been copying designs ever since someone scratched a little mastodon drawing on the wall of a cave. And then someone in the next cave over goes, I like the way he used those sticks for legs. I'm going to use that. It's just the nature of art. It's especially the nature of fashion. It's an incredibly copy, imitation, paying homage, is what you'd say if you worked in the atelier type of business. So that's not the way that you protect yourself. 
The way that you and the way that almost every innovative brand protects themselves is with their brand. That people, when they wear something, and you can tell by looking at me, this is not something that I'm personally an expert at that. But when people wear a brand, there's a combination of what it looks like or what it does, but that's only a small piece of it. The rest of it is, what does it say about them? And that comes from who made it. And one of the things which is so completely understandable to me is why someone would walk around carrying a handbag covered with giant Gucci symbols, except to trumpet to the world, look at me, I can afford a Gucci handbag. It's a bizarre thing. It's a status symbol. Exactly. That's the point. But it's a status symbol because they're super high-end brands. And so they want people to know these people could care less whether it's designed by uh, someone who is a kindergartner or someone who works in the Gucci showroom, but it has the G on it. Oh man, I've got to have that. I got to walk in with that on my arm. And listen, I'm not faulting it. It's the way of the world. I'm not a consumer myself and I don't buy into, you know, that world. Like I don't even want to sell that world. I don't want to be luxury. It's not who I am. You don't need to be luxury, but you need to be who you are. Yeah. And the way you protect yourself is through the brand, which okay. is that people know that this is a Seville Michelle. And because of that, they want to wear it. That's what separates it from the knockoffs that will inevitably flood in after an innovator like yourself introduces something. You have two ways to defend yourself. And again, this is the way of the world. One is you can never rest in your laurels. No. I'm sorry. You have to continue to innovate. You have to continue to come up with new ideas, great ideas, but you're fortunate. You have something that all those imitators don't have, which is the ability to come out with something that you intuitively know other people are going to like because mm -hmm. you see it. And you just have to keep doing that. But you also have to make sure you're communicating that this is all Seville Michelle stuff. And that is special. There is something to that. And people have done that very, very successfully, created very, very strong brands in middle America. And it's the exact reason why Martha Stewart has a big line at Kmart. I promise you those glasses and plates are not dramatically different and that other people can copy them, but they don't have the little Martha Stewart in the box. They're not getting this comfort for someone who's buying something to know I'm getting something that Martha Stewart endorsed. Again, I don't know whether Martha Stewart or not. I'm just saying she's a perfect example of someone who lends her brands, not to the people who are furnishing, well, they do this too, $10 million houses, but to people who furnish $100,000 houses or $10,000 apartments or anything. Yes. Mobile homes. And you can do the same thing by making it clear that your brand stands for something. And it could be as simple as that. I don't know to what degree you have it, but you attach the brand in a very, very subtle way to the things you make. That, in my opinion, is how to protect it. Let's talk now about manufacturing, because I think that's a somewhat different thing. The first thing is, yes, if you want to go for low cost, if you want to go for high volume, if you want to go for rapid response, you do have to go to places which are able to turn those things around really, really quickly and at super low cost. And they might copy you. And I'm not sure there's a way to really protect you besides establishing relationships. But that's not the direction I'm going. I think in your case, I love what you said about, I think everyone deserves to earn a living wage. Yeah. I think you should manufacture it yourself. When I say yourself, I don't mean you team. on the couch. A team. A team. And I think you brand the team. Meaning... 
this becomes part of your brand. Mm -hmm. That these are people, these are women. These are women of all colors and shapes and sizes, or whatever the phrase was. Yeah, earrings come in all shapes, colors, and sizes. Yeah, and I think that it's another one of your ways of paying back and saying, I'm not taking the manufacture of this and sending this to Vietnam. No, I don't believe in that. It doesn't resonate with me. Correct. I feel like you know. <laughs> if you had said, no, the key is these things that cost me $20 to make, I have to make for 20 cents. You know, mm -hmm. you can't do that here in the United States. But yeah. I don't think that's what your brand is. Yeah. You're telling me it's not what it needs to be. And I think that gives you two things. One is it's your ability to manufacture and make things that no one sees until they're out there. Yeah. It allows you to have control over it, but it also allows you to tell a really, really positive story about where this comes from. And where it comes from, is partly the woman who spent 12 years making them on her couch, mm -hmm. the woman who didn't finish high school, went to community college, who grew up in Queens. That's where this jewelry comes from yeah. and is now being worn on a lot of these incredibly famous singers who also, a lot of them came from similar backgrounds as you. That's where it comes from in one sense, but it also comes from these places being made by people who share those same values and those same backgrounds and those same belief about what the role of your jewelry is in the world. I think it's just a really neat way to tie it all together. I love that advice. So there's your quick answer. Make it yourself. I had a podcast come out a while ago, a woman who was making a, a little device. And she goes, in order to make this at the scale, that conversation was different. It goes, you have to do this internationally if you want the scale. To her, I also said make it in the United States, but for a different reason. For there, it was the ability to quickly tweaking. Yes. In other words, if all of a sudden you do it in China and things come back, and you go, oh my God, the hoops are not exactly right. Changing it's a pain in the butt. It's very easy though, if you get one, you go, oh no, I don't like it with this finish on it. It's one phone call. I do it right there. Yeah, that's what I love. I love the ability to be able to change gears or make more of something because it's working. And you'd think, you know, sometimes like my best seller is I'm like, really? Really guys, that's what you like so much? <laughs> I wore my necklace for you today, Mark, because I don't even wear jewelry. I don't, I feel like a blank canvas most of the time. I feel more like an artist than I do a designer, but I'm filling the shoes now. I feel it. I'm a business person and I really never was. But listen, being a business person is a game for some people who love the game of being a business person. And I put myself in that category and that the companies I start don't stem from this deep belief that I have to change the way people rent movies. It just becomes, I thought that was a fascinating problem to do something better. Yeah. But the next one was data analytics. And the one before that was a quality assurance software. So for me, yes, business is a puzzle. But for a lot of people, it's just becoming better at getting your vision out into the world more effectively, which is an entirely honorable thing to do. And the objective is not necessarily to win, to make more money. It's to do things in a way that you believe in, that's pure, that you can be proud of. And as you scale, it's fine. Listen, some of the money will go toward being able to have a slightly more comfortable life for yourself. But part of it goes toward A, increasing the ability for more women to have access to feeling 
the way your jewelry yeah. makes them feel. Part of it goes to letting the people who are helping to make the jewelry have a job doing something creative with their hands rather than working in an Amazon fulfillment warehouse. Yeah. You're doing a lot of good for the world by trying to uh, do something good for your business. It's so sad out there sometimes. People are so sad. So I do jewelry for healing. I do classes. When I got to LA, I was like, I really want to get down with the LA Public Library because I like that. I like what they do. I like them. So I auditions. It's called an audition as a performer for the. It's called a performer, but it's not really like a performer. Where you go in, you know, when you go to the library and it says, "Learn how to make origami." Or learn how to, you know, I got picked out of a hundred people who applied. It was only one of six. And I got picked to teach people how to make jewelry. Fantastic. And then COVID hit. <laughs> and I was getting booked 74 locations in LA. So all locations. And it was part of my business. So I'm making jewelry. And then on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I'm booked over here. And I have to go to Santa Monica Library and go do a jewelry class for an hour with them. And I was getting paid. And it was amazing. And then COVID hit and then I lost that. But it really created a world for myself that is filled with variations of what I do as a person to make money. Here's another twist to that. I mean, you may have already been doing this, but obviously right now I was delighted to hear 80% of your revenue is coming in direct. I really love your fluency with conversion rate and beginning to learn some of the metrics of how to really evaluate how well you're doing in an e-commerce business. But one of the really powerful ways to accelerate a business besides buying advertising, even more powerful way is content marketing. What's that? Content marketing. Content marketing means people are being driven to come to your website, not just to buy, mm. but to learn, mm. to watch, to be entertained. You pick it. So here I'm going, here's this woman who all of a sudden has thought through what's the best way to teach jewelry making. You should could also make your site a piece of it, which is a place for people to come who are trying to learn mm -hmm. those things. You don't want to confuse the brand, yes, but it's a great way on the side begin accumulating volume, even if it's as simple as saying you launch a YouTube channel where you're giving classes on jewelry making or doing some other social media where you begin building a following, talking about that piece of it. But it all translates over because it's all being referred over. It's accentuating your brand. It's making them more familiar with the name Seville Michelle. It's cementing how they feel and think about your product. And then even better, they click over to the website and lo and behold, hey, I can actually buy the stuff that I saw her Yes, making. that's great. It's a nice way to kind of complete the circle. That's content marketing. It's very, very, very powerful because largely it's uh, very leveraged. The cost to produce one video, which is zero or almost zero, it costs the same whether 10 people watch it or 100 people watch it or 1,000 or 10,000. And it's a very cost-effective way of generating traffic for your website. Yeah, I think I do need to do that. And that thank you so much for that. I've never been comfortable being like a public person. I've always felt more like an artist and I do things, you know, and then people wear my stuff and it's amazing. But I've always had this mysterious, mystique kind of thing about me, you know, and I don't know if it's because of where I'm from. I'm okay on camera, so like probably should do it. But I love the one on one, like the stuff with the library. And it's like me and 25 people and we're like making stuff with broken jewelry. I bring broken jewelry in and we read make it with sometimes no tools because I want them to challenge their, you know, it's a cognitive activity, figuring out how to make something with limited tools. 
And this is a perfect way for me to bring this all full circle. If you remember, almost the very, very first thing I said when we started the conversation was that I was really eager to speak to you because when I listened to your recorded message, the energy just jumped out of the phone at me. So you said I should tell you when you're full of crap about something. You are totally full of crap that you do not have the ability to be a front person to communicate effectively. The camera is one person. That's one person that a million people can look at simultaneously. You'll do great at it. And if you can learn to harness that, it's just one more tool you can have in your arsenal to make sure that you accomplish all the things you want for your brand and, and your life and other people's lives. Yeah, thank you. Seville, this was fantastic. Listen, I am going to check back on you. So we're going to check back in in six or nine months. And I'm curious to see whether anything that we spoke about actually worked and what progress you may have made in scaling your business. Thank you so much. But I do wish you the best of luck. Thank you. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest fill out the form and leave a voice message right there on the site while you're there sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox or connect with me on twitter at mb randolph or on instagram at that will never work or my newest attempt at denying my age on tiktok where i promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on thanks again for listening Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time.